Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 50 through 58. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowing up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that you are the source of all light. And by your word, you give light to our souls. And so we ask this morning that you would pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Within creation, human beings really are quite remarkable. We are, as a species, not only created by God, but think about it, we are created in His image. Of nothing else of creation did God say these words. Let us make man in our image. Of absolutely nothing else in creation, animate or inanimate, could it be said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Think about it. From the very beginning of Genesis, we are told what the psalmist confirms and rejoices. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. And not only are we created in God's image, but we have also been given dominion. That word can also be translated rule as vice regents over all of creation. Like a bountiful garden, we are charged, Scripture says, to care for and maintain creation on our Creator's behalf. For his glory as well as good ancestors for those that follow. 
not concerned merely with ourselves, we are also, in the creation ordinance, told to be fruitful and to multiply, filling the earth also with image-bearing progeny. If all of this, however, sounds a bit idyllic, it sounds, well, that, that sounds perfect. That sounds like before the fall. The truth is, as we know, the fallen reality of our obedience to the creation ordinances. When Adam fell in sin, every, without exception, every child after him inherited his seed, but one. Perpetuating the genetic line of sinners fallen by grace. It is true that we are indeed made in the image of God, though fallen. And although we have successfully distorted such glory sometimes as if it is seemingly unrecognizable, we are indeed still given dominion over creation. We have selfishly retranslated oftentimes dominion as domination, not the same word, not for God's glory, but for our own use. And yes, it's true that rather than caring for and maintaining creation, we have manipulated it for our own selfish preservation with no regard for the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that follow us. We have been fruitful, but we've been fruitful only as it sees fit to our pleasure. And as it suits us, we've multiplied. And if inconvenient, we have aborted, considering life at our disposal as if we are God over life. Yet despite our rebellion against God, and this is really worthy of giving thanks for every creature on the face of the earth, despite our rebellion against God, God didn't annihilate us. <laughs> but He continues to allow us to live and enjoy His creation Sustained by His common grace. We are, everyone fallen, but continuing image bearers of God. We continue as, really, as vice regents over the earthly kingdom. And against all odds, we perpetuate our species. Like it or not. But there will be an end. There will be a day when there is a conclusion, when life as we know it ceases. A day when we will be judged by our Creator, a day when the heavenly kingdom will reign on earth. And on that day, think about this with me, on that day, the inferiority of our mortality will be revealed. Our, so to speak, our suits of sin will be proven perishable, unfit for eternity. It will be clear to every man, it will be clear to every woman, it will be clear to every child, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And on that day, on that day, the human experiment of self-preservation by self-righteousness will be proven False. Nobody on that day will think, eh, we're doing a pretty good job in our self-righteousness. No one will think that. Vanity will be verified. A chasing after the wind. Cheers of human superiority will be silenced by the, and let this captivate your imagination, 
Cheers of human superiority will be silenced by the world circumferencing blast of a heavenly trumpet. Heard not by a select few secretly, but heard all over the world publicly on every square inch of the earth. The trumpet blast will be heard in that moment. And when that solitary blast rings out, it will be heard with distinction. Some will hear it with dread. The ominous dirge of defeat. And others, others of us will hear it with joy. A sound as if it's calling us home forever. As Christians, we live in the here and now, of course. But we live as sojourners. We're described elsewhere in Scripture as exiles. Looking toward our heavenly home. And it is true that the kingdom of God reigns in the heart of every believer. But in our passage today, Paul's reference to the kingdom of God here is to a specific place where we are going in the future specifically. Now prior to the Lord's return, all who die in Christ or sleep, as the Apostle Paul puts it here, are spiritually present with the Lord. Scripture is very clear, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But here, Paul is describing something else than that state. Something else to come. Something else in the future. Not the intermediate state after death, but a resurrected life. One for which we must, all who are in Christ, must. It's imperative. We must be changed. Think with me about what the Apostle John tells us in Revelation. In which he says, as he saw in his vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed Away. The former things that John describes characterizes this mortal life. You and I don't know anything different. This is all we know. Things not to be carried into eternity. Including what? Including what Paul describes here in this passage, our mortal bodies. We're not going like this. So change must occur. A transformation of, as Paul puts it in our passage, of the perishable to the imperishable. The heavenly trumpet serves then as an announcement of the kingdom of God. The promised inheritance of all who trust in Christ alone for salvation. But it is not an inheritance to be received apart from transformation. 
Transformation has to occur in order to inherit that which is promised. All who are made in the image of God, all who are justified as righteous by faith, all who are adopted as children of God must be conformed to the image of God's Son. You might think about it this way. A transformation from dust to glory. The flesh and blood of this life cannot inherit the kingdom of God in the next. By virtue of our fallen nature, our flesh and blood, the suit of our soul, so to speak, is perishable. And the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Or another way to put this simply is to say, the sinful and corrupt must become redeemed and incorruptible. Now how this happens, Paul says, once upon a time was a mystery, but is now revealed. Look at verse 52 with me, in which this revelation is shared. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now since Paul did not know the timing of Christ's return by we, what he means is, is all of the Christians alive At the time of Christ's coming. But others such as all the saints before us. Sleep. Awaiting the resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians. Paul gives this from a different perspective. As in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's telling us from the perspective of those. Who will be present at the Lord's return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He's telling us from the perspective of those. Who have died. And have not yet been resurrected. In chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we've got two perspectives there perspective from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But the problem is, the problem is, is the bodies of those who have fallen asleep. The bodies of those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who died and continued with Christ in heaven prior to His return. That's a problem. In 1 Thessalonians it says that they are reunited with their bodies. That's a big problem for bodies that decompose. That decompose all the way to to dust. Thankfully, Paul helps us understand. It's really not a problem. He helps us understand this transformation. Look at verse 53 with me. In which he says, This perishable body, this body that decomposes to dust, must put on immortality. The transformation is a reality for the living, those who will be alive at Christ's return, as well as the dead. Whether they are scattered dust or in the prime of life, our bodies are not fit for eternity as they are now or as they are decomposed. We are, as it is, destined for duration. Time is not on the side of the mortal. A change must occur, and so it will. From 
perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortal, our glorified bodies will be given to us in a world without end. As extraordinary as this is to imagine in the future, and it really is quite extraordinary to imagine, isn't it? I do wonder what I will look like. I do wonder what you will look like. We're not told that, but it's fun to think about. But it's even more important that we think about what this teaches us today. You see, death is defeat. Hear this loud and clear. Death is defeat if there is no life after death. Consider the cross of Christ. We'll think about a lot, that a lot this week. Especially focused on Good Friday. On the cross of Christ, a beautiful life. A beautiful person was brutally crucified. Ending the greatest earthly ministry the world has ever known. In time and space, it felt like defeat. But it wasn't. Because, as Peter would testify, God raised our Lord Jesus Christ up. Freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Likewise, likewise, the death of our mortal bodies is not the last word on our lives. If I die tomorrow, as I tell my wife consistently, I don't want anything fancy. I'm going for the pine box. Put me in the earth. I'll decompose more quickly that way. But that's not my story. That's not your story. Death doesn't get the final word on us. The fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead proves and secures that our resurrection awaits us in glory. Here's the way, and I've been preaching through Romans, right? We're all familiar with Romans chapter 8, I think, by this point. But I want you to hear Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, which many of us are very familiar with. I want you to hear it in the context of our future resurrection. Listen oh so closely. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined, wait for it, to be conformed. To the image of His Son. Why, Paul? Why? In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Meaning He who resurrected first. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also what? Glorified. Right? Paul in that passage is pointing us to the resurrection to tell us this is how it will be. We who were foreknown by God, we who are predestined by Him, we are predestined for what? We are predestined to be in the end conformed to the perfect glorified image of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Our perfect confirmation to Christ, our brother, is sure. For when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, the Apostle John says. Those are beautiful words. And this reality, this reality gives us confidence to face death. 
We do not fear mortal death. We don't fear it. Yes, death is the enemy of every child of Adam. The result of sin, which I might add is proof positive, we're all lawbreakers because all of us die. But death, Paul says, is swallowed. Imagine that imagery with me. Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, the victory of Christ's life over death, the victory is also our life over death through faith in Him. And while there is certainly a sobriety, let us be clear, there is a certain sobriety to mortal death. Those predestined to immortality can say, not crassly, but we can say confidently, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I'm going to go back to Romans. Think about this with me. In Romans chapter 6, in that 6th chapter of Romans, Paul writes, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He goes on to say, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Christ's victory over death and sin, if anything, it certainly secured our salvation and ceased death's reign and satisfied the law's claims, replacing it with what? With grace in which we live as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The reality of the reign of grace, as we might call it, leads us not to boasting. Because it wouldn't be grace then, would it? Ooh, I'm better than you are, you know, because of God's grace. No. It doesn't make sense. But in God's grace, in the reign of grace in which we live, we are led not to boast, but to give thanks. And that's exactly where Paul takes us here in verse 57. He says what? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The thanks that we give, well, it's, it's of course for the promise of what is to come, but it's also thanks for the victory we enjoy today. It's both and not either or. We're giving thanks for what we will be. We are giving thanks for what we see the Lord doing even today. As Leon Morris says, quote, The Christian life is characteristically a life of victory. And this victorious life has practical implications. Which is why Paul adds at the conclusion of this passage, the therefore. Did you catch that? We're going through this and we're taught all of this beautiful thing about the resurrection. And then Paul says, and by the way, this has practical application. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Hmm. Now, in an age where Christians are characterized more fickle than firm, 
We need this admonition more than ever, don't we? The reality of the resurrection is a firm foundation rooted in the sovereign grace of God. The winds of cultural change don't sway the Christian who stands upon that foundation. But such a firm foundation must never lead us to retreat to our homestead, but to labor as sojourners looking toward our heavenly home. We are never taught to pack it up and hide out and isolate ourselves away from people. Folks, the people are why we're here. We're the reason we're here. We who are momentarily mortal serve as imperfect yet redeemed instruments in our Redeemer's hands. Reaching outward to those being conformed to the image of God's Son. All of us who are made in God's image. How lovely are the hands of those who serve for Christ's sake. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And as the hands and as the feet of Christ, we abound in good works. Knowing what? Knowing that our labor is not ever in vain. To encourage this, we must develop and we must encourage eternally focused perspective, preparation, and perseverance. Yes, three P's for you to remember this Sunday morning. We are to have eternity-focused perspective, preparation, and perseverance. Let me explain this briefly. The resurrection gives us a daily, a daily perspective of victory. Here's the way the Apostle Paul, if you're wondering if this is accurate or not, this daily perspective of victory, here's the way the Apostle Paul explained it to the Galatians. He said, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Man, that's not a direct tie-in to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Man, I don't know what one is. What kind of mentality are we to have? We who are to be resurrected and glorified bodies? Well, we're to have a mindset of things above, specifically not of things here on earth. Another way to think about it is this. Nothing robs us of a sense of victory like worldly mindedness. <laughs> and let me tell you, I see this in myself so much. When my perspective, when my mindset, when I begin to see the world in a worldly way, and I get down. Maybe I, maybe I borderline get depressed. I don't know what the word is. I, I become consumed with the things of the world. You know the red light? Uh, 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 uh. That's it, isn't it? 
when I see myself doing that, when you see yourself doing that, you know I've got my mind on the wrong things. When I'm involved in conflict, when I'm involved in controversy, when there is all sorts of hostility going around me, the problem is probably me and you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. But nothing lifts us to the peak of triumph like heavenly mindedness. Nothing lifts us to the peak of victorious Christian living when my mind is set on the things above. Such a perspective does not lead, contrary to what people have said, it does not lead to a preoccupation to where you just don't see the world as it is, but rather it leads you away from a preoccupation with the worthless and two, a preoccupation with the worthy. The key is the distinction. The second thing, the resurrection also prepares us for daily victory over sin. Now, I sin. And I, you do too. Right? We're sinners saved by grace. But a perspective and a preparation through that perspective it prepares us for dealing with sin and having victory over it. Here's the way that John put it, another tie-in. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is, wait for it, the world is <laughs> passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We who are created for eternity, we who are redeemed for eternity, when we begin to entangle ourselves with the stuff of this world, notably sin, we forget that it's passing away. It's momentary. But we who abide in God, we who are in Christ, we will indeed live forever. Why not begin now with that perspective? The vestiges of the fall are most apparent in us when we succumb to temptation. But eternity shines brightest in those who obey. The third thing, the resurrection enables us to persevere. To persevere admits trials, tribulations, and temptations. Here's the way that John puts it. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, that's us who profess faith in Christ. He's talking about you here. He's talking about me. And we do not per persevere amidst the maelstrom of life alone, but we do it by God's grace. Through faith in the one who said to the storm, what did he say? Peace. Be still. And so he says to the storms of your life and mine, for on the day of our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he knew the praise would change to jeers as the agony of the cross awaited. 
as did the glory of his resurrection. And so he endured the cross for the joy that awaited him. And the life that is his is ours too. The victorious Christian life then is one of perspective, preparation, and perseverance always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord our labor is not in vain. In closing, I want you to ask yourself this. How could our work be in vain knowing that we are not yet what we will be? How could our work be in vain knowing that we are not yet what we will be? And secondly, how could our work be in vain knowing that our inheritance is not confined to the temporal vaults of this present darkness, but to the very kingdom of God? For a life lived unto the Lord is never in vain, but a life of triumph, because God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you that we do, and ha do indeed have victory in Christ. We who do not fear life indeed look forward to eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that this is not of our own doing, but is by your grace through faith in the resurrected one, our brother, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would help us as a people to indeed think upon the things above, to live a life of triumph because Christ triumphed over death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.